keep going. One good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. Bob Marley and the Wailers, from Trenchtown Rock. Has a truer statement ever been uttered? When we consider the source, one of the lions of 20th century music, who expanded the musical palettes of millions of people around the globe, I think we have it on excellent authority. In this episode of the Keep Going podcast, we return to one of our common passions, the album. Your three hosts are all deeply enamored and passionately enthused about the artistic artifacts of a golden era where each song is written, recorded, produced, and positioned within a larger ecosystem of other songs and all working in concert to deliver the listener an experience. Depending on the artist, the experience will be different, and this is expected, hoped for, perhaps even demanded. We lament the continuing trend away from the album with a capital A but remain optimistic about music because, well, when it hits you. In a spur-of-the-moment decision, only a day before we had scheduled this recording, we pivoted away from a running topic and went back to music. There was a sense that we might begin to lose the musical thread if we didn't return to it. You see, we have two new series planned for the coming weeks, and that worry was beginning to feel very real. So we decided to consider one album each, with the criteria being it must bring all the feels and have had an impact on your life. We all listened to each other's selections so we would have an appreciation of the love the others were bringing to their choice. The conversation is framed as a love letter to one transformational album in each of our lives. With less than 24 hours notice, we examine, explicate, and experience three albums we consider classic. Beck's 2002 album, Sea Change, Michael's Selection, Radiohead's 2007 album, In Rainbows, Steve's Selection, and Janis Joplin's 1973 release, Greatest Hits, John's Selection. One note, the attempted addition of songs from the albums did not go as planned. As producer, I left the songs in because removing them seemed to disrupt the flow within the greater context of the whole conversation. So please excuse the lack of engineering acumen. If we attempt music examples again, we'll have our shit together. So with that noted, please enjoy our conversation, an episode we call, When It Hits You, Three Love Letters. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Yeah. Millions of hours of radio time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Years have. Yes. That's just a difference. So true. I think that you... My, mine's a pretty simple. I think you included the word and just kind of profess your kind of love or adoration for the album. And I'll do that that uh, very quickly because mine is Beck's Sea Change. And the reason that that one was very special to me is I think I was in UT at UT at the time. I studied like three semesters there or something before I kind of just, it was like a... So it was released in 2002. Yeah. So I was mm -hmm. late coming into the album. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it in real time. I got mm -hmm. it probably um, 
I don't know, probably five, 2005, mm-hmm. something like that. It's always important to, to relate when you're relating your contextual situation, mm-hmm. like at what context, because we didn't, we're going to do Janis Joplin, see at Beck's see Janis Joplin's greatest hits, Beck's sea change and radio heads in rainbows. Yeah. So those are the three, they're really three different albums. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just for our listeners. So, we're so I was, I was, I remember studying at UT and since this is kind of a verbal love letter to like the thing, the, the album, that's how I phrased it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the album literally changed my life, like the course of it. And specifically because maybe it was a little bit before that, but I was studying for economics and I was just shit in the bed. I, I didn't understand the big, they had like a big formula and I was like, Fuck this. I can't do this. Like, it didn't make any sense at the time. My brain wasn't working too well. So I had this idea that I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music. Like, this is a novel idea. I fancy myself a guitar player. I'm kind of wearing the hemp necklaces and shit. And I'm like a jam band fan. Like, life is groovy. And I'm just smoking my face off. And uh, and, and it, basically, that was it. I it was just a putz. Just a good Louisiana just, boy. Just a, in Austin, Texas. just a complete, shit. just knucklehead, um, absolutely lost in the abyss. So I, I get this idea and I'm like, well, shit, this, this college Berkeley has like this, it's called a world scholarship tour and they travel around and you can, you can go to an open audition and, and I went and, um, and after that, I, I like, quickly got and and that that went favorably I kind of ended up pivoting from UT and going to Berkeley but before that period happened I was really interested in acquiring some some gear like recording because a big component of the curriculum is that everybody when you entered in it's like they give you like a like a standard issue inbox at that time and everybody had to learn like the recording software so I knew this going in so I wanted to go to like Guitar Center I wanted to figure it all out I wanted to get some monitors and I just was like hey maybe maybe music production could be my thing and uh, I was always tinkering around with recordings and stuff like that but I went into this store and this your standard kind of like salesman brings me in the back and you gotta hear these (laughs) you gotta buy these $1,000 speakers and I was like all right I got to buy these $1,000 speakers. And in the song that he, he's like, I'm only going to pick one album. I'm going to play it for you. And the reason that you're going to get these speakers is because you're going to hear everything that this album is about. And he sat there and he queued up the golden age by Beck. And when the drop hit, I fucking melted. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. God, what am I missing? And he was like, this album was recorded on, you know, by Nigel Godrich at Ocean Way, probably using U47s and Neveton 73s or API 512, like all this stuff. And I was like, holy shit balls. This is the fucking most epic thing I've ever heard. And I was like, wait, they're using like the same mic that like Frank Sinatra was recording. Like, and that's why it sounds so warm. And the album is just so warm and lush and fucking the strings are just so good and then if you look into it and i started looking at the videos of like beck playing 
the promotional stuff, uh, like acoustic and he's got like his harmonica and he's like talking about being a folk singer. And like, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is everything I stand for in life. Like this, this is who I want to be. I want this career. I want this album. I want this sound. I want the warmness. I want it to flood me. And that, that was sea change. And I mean, from start to finish that album sonically just kind of dictates almost everything that I'm about in music production period and it dictated the next four years of you know my life in terms of how I was trying to obtain sounds while studying at Berkeley the way that I would record things I'd mic them up really close like I would make sure that it was always warm sometimes too warm so I would like flood this frequency spectrum because I was always coming in so round that I I just wanted to sound good to me and and on like my speakers and everything so it was a real great experience that album is just um I you know it's there's a lot of heartache in it there's a lot of all the things that somebody should be compelled to write just a just a gut-wrenching album and sonically it kind of reconciles with the content and I mean I mean mean, yes I'm doing fine it's like what like he wrote this album right after he found out that it well after he but he was just as he divorced his wife right mm-hmm. she was I think he wrote a, it in his kitchen I read yeah um, he, he she was having an affair with a dude in a band called Whiskey Biscuit mm-hmm. it's pretty bad mm-hmm. it's pretty bad it's pretty bad Are you when, serious when you leave when you leave back for for, for some Biscuit. dude in a band called Whiskey Biscuit which she she lost on that one and he gained with an incredible we all gained from that because oh his God. that I think album you're hearing 100% of this guy oh you are and like everything that came and if you listen to Beck prior he's you know he's kind of whimsical it's everything this is a complete aside this is like oh my bad I just showed you everything about my deepest and you know most raw human emotions it's not just for the public and it's not your you know I'm a loser like that those right. types of songs or beer can like all that stuff like I mean he's the king of this like kind of punk folk well, and Odele he took he took that kitchen sink approach mm-hmm. and went high death right like he took the original you know one foot in the grave which was all his basically folk alt folk stuff mm-hmm. right and then we got loser which is mellow gold which is yeah. really lo-fi and everything else but then we got Odile, which is hi-fi mm-hmm. i mean there are lo-fi elements to it but it's definitely hi-fi um yeah, and, but it but everything changed with mutations right and then he went into midnight vultures and then after that we get sea change that 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 three album stretch right. is really incredible and there are three utterly completely different albums yeah and if you ask me like do i love everything that beck does it just, I don't resonate with, you know, quite a bit of the portfolio. This particular album to me is mm. not about him. It's not about, it's, it, it's about the human condition and what can happen. In, so the songwriting and the production. Yeah. I mean, like there, there's something about it. Like I wouldn't say Beck is my favorite artist. It maybe not top five, but this particular work is like, you know, Michelangelo worthy for me. Like, I don't know. It just, it speaks to me because I think we're all humans trying to, we do the world, world does us, but then every once in a while we get an opportunity to kind of say, yeah, but I'm going to do me. And I don't know if this was entirely him saying this is me, but it kind of felt 
like almost kind of like a damn the torpedoes I'm going in I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this I'm not doing it for the charts I'm not doing it for MTV I'm not doing it for anything like it just kind of felt like I can when I listen to it I I definitely feel that it's okay to kind of be expressive in certain and it always brings me home like I don't know if it was a Waylon Jennings quote sometimes that said the sadder the song the greater I feel I forget who said that but to me it's just it's relatable I found it to be the single most relatable album that like I've ever really listened to just because of the emotion associated with it. Yeah. Well, what's crazy about this album is how he's relentless mm. and he, he's, it's relentlessly sad, mm. relentlessly sad. But if, and, and there's nothing about this album I think is really important for anybody who hasn't listened to it or has listened to it before and dismissed it. You need to put on headphones. You have you to. Can you got to listen to it in stereo. And you cannot listen to this album in the background. You mm-hmm. need to lay down on your back. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're someone who likes to imbibe substances, that would be a useful use of doing so. Because it, not that you Pound have to. Pound a couple to. milligrams of Nicorette. <laughs> not that you have Sit to. Sit there and vibe. Then you just <laughs> lay on your back. If you can lay on your back for a little while with your headphones on and just listen to this it's unbelievable the quality of musicianship. I mean, I don't think I'd ever really knew who uh, Smokey Hormel was before, but after you listen, if you yeah. he's a guitarist on this piece, he's older than the rest of these guys. He's like their he's like their older brother in a lot of ways. His guitar playing in certain places is just unbelievable. He plays piano on one of the songs, and I knew it was him playing piano because it was like that felt like those guitar licks. There's a couple guitar licks he plays on one of the songs that's like sad and his bends on the guitar are like they they have the broken heart in the guitar bend. Like how was it feels mm-hmm. that way to me. And I did this I read the uh, string the string solo uh it well I mean you just peel everything apart. Like I mean it's it's just endless. There's so you, many layers. And, and, Nigel Godrich on the production. It's like That's key. I think that's the key to the whole thing. I think the key thing to this album is production, production, Mm -hmm. production. But I think first is Beck had a team of people he felt safe with because there's no way he could have produced this, done this album if he was in an unsafe place because the, the rawness of these lyrics, I mean, there is, I mean, it could have just (laughs) been so much different than the way it came out. You know what I mean? Like it could have been somebody's attempt going, I'm just going to say what I need to say. And then just not come out as poised and kind of fortified. But because he had this solid team that clearly supported the whole, the whole idea of the album really kind of lifts it up and transcends the fact that it just could have been a very sad and melancholy album. But it, but I think when you bring all those people, you're hearing the support behind it. You're hearing them supporting. I think that's a super valid point. And I mean, just listen to, if you're, if you're listening to this, you haven't heard it, just turn on Lonesome Tears and then go to the strings at the end and how it kind of ends on that kind of like, almost like space age kind of, ending it's crazy i mean it's try let's try it let's see if we can pull it off all right we can pull it off i can edit it out if we don't get it right so where are we at see what we got do um lonesome tears yeah lonesome tears come on with it now skip to the end the bells and the everything 
right here. It's like a fucking spaceship going in. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard it with headphones on. Oh man, it's a you gotta put headphones on, brother. Every little piece is in its place. Yeah. Little spaceship. There's like a little bell in the back. Yeah. It's like, whoa! <laughs> I know. It's, it's nuts. Come on, somebody. Pull out the ball. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's it pretty is, cool. It's really the drums, the snare drum sound was awesome. Like, every piece of it was just so bad. Just so rich. So I was going to play um, a little bit of the, if I can find that guitar part for the end of the day. That's on end of the day, mm -hmm. I think. Um. I've seen the end Make it. of the again uh, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that part out. Anyway, it's hard to find these things. I've never done this before. We're playing with my, uh, with my machine and trying to make it work. But, so awesome. Um, I do think that one of the things about this album, too, that hits me so hard is it. I, I fell in. I'm not a huge. I am a huge Beck fan, but I wouldn't put him in my top 10 artists. And I don't really pull his albums out to listen to very often. Odelay, I mean, all of his albums changed. Mellow Gold changed my life. I was... You know, I'm the same age as Beck. Basically, we're all, we're right. around the same age. So a right. lot of that. So a lot of what you know, I'm in my I'm in music. I love music. I I just I just love it completely. And then this guy is like Bob Dylan because he starts with his Bob Dylan thing. Right. Um, but the first album that he really puts out that anybody really hears is Mellow Gold and of course Loser. Right. It's like just like Radiohead, where we're going to talk about in a second. They both Radiohead and Beck have two songs that are so famous throughout the entirety of the world. And most of the people who are really big fans think that they're cheesy. Right. But if you played it at a bar, every one of us would be like, what a song. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but loser. But then, you know, what he what he does with what he does with Odelay. It's pretty cool that I wasn't really into mutations. I wasn't in the right phase. That was he and Nigel Goodrich did that one. But for some reason, I was working at Runtex on the shoe floor all the time in the late 90s. 98, 99 ish, I think, is when Midnight Vultures came out right before the new right before. And that is just a party album that is a straight up party album incredibly well done well produced well done Nigel didn't do that one but it was it, it's just a party album and so I loved it I listened to that album I would put it on a run text working the floor because nobody had a problem with it because it was like it, it it had all those it has a lot of soul has a lot of disco a lot yeah. of and this got a lot it's just fun yeah. so it was never a problem people I just played it all the time nobody had a problem it was cool when you worked yeah. at a place that you could be the DJ for the for everybody. It was yeah. that was awesome? And I was all the time. People didn't have a choice. People would bring. I'd like, yeah, you could play an album, but then oh, that sucks. We're gonna put on something else. Yeah. So I was like still in Midnight Vultures mode when this came out, but I had just gotten a divorce or was in the process of getting a divorce in two thousand two, right when this album came out. So to me, that's what this album. The first when I first listened to it, it was about. It was okay to be sad, for you know, an hour and you could put it on, put on headphones and just sit there and be sad. And the song lost cause to me is, um, one of the great heartbreak songs mm -hmm. of all time. 
It's just, and anybody can learn to play it on the guitar. It's a super simple mm-hmm. song to play. It's just a couple of chords that you play over and over again. And his voice, he's such a... He's a master. He's, yeah, but he's, he's so easy to sing. Yeah. Whereas if you're trying to sing Bono or you're trying to sing yeah. Tom York, like you can't he's, find like mm-hmm. the place, but his voice sits in almost all male ranges. And then women have the ability who can go with a little bit deeper voice. They can get in there too. And I think that's one of the things. And that album, that song, Lost Cause, was the one that kind of went popular, mm-hmm. right? That was the one that most people heard. And it's just so beautiful and easy to sing. And I learned to play it. And so then I just got obsessed with this album. That's why when you mentioned it a couple mm-hmm. months ago when we were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I haven't listened to that album again. In, I hadn't listened to it since 2003 or four, probably. Um, maybe Lost Cause, I'd listened to it a couple times, but I hadn't really engaged with it. But when you pulled it back out today, I um, yesterday, I spent three lessons. I did a walk lesson, a lay in the, my bed lesson when everybody had gone to bed. And I was like, holy shit mm-hmm. i forgot mm-hmm. how amazing this is it's a nice perspective on how i can yeah it's all the full it's it's everything and it's just did you so engage with this song at the, with this album at the time it came out john yeah. do you remember uh, yeah. yeah you yeah. had to do experiences Beck, you know, with Beck it was always when he first came out he was a lot more folky um i there were i think there was a lot of there were a lot of other bands at the time who sounded different, but there was sort of, I feel like at that time there was like a folk thread mm-hmm. running through a lot of popular music and even sort of indie music. Mm-hmm. I can't, that may be historically incorrect, but I feel like there were other bands or maybe other singers who were doing things with a folk thing. Mm-hmm. But Beck was the one that I kind of picked up on the most because it seemed, uh, it when people were redoing folk, it sounded hokey to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sounded modern. His sounded modern. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else was trying to, you know, get people interested in folk from back in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And he took it and like, let's do something else. And I just always thought it was cool. And all of his music to me, just because of the way he writes lyrics his lyrics were always the part that just because I was like total non sequiturs. Yeah, like, like if you listen to him enough, you, you start to see the essence of what, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And Isaac and I were talking about Beck's lyrics this morning on his drive to school. Like where did, what made him, you know, what did he listen to that made him go? I can write lyrics like this. Well, his dad was a musician and an artist. So he was in and an art from a pretty, his dad was a was a painter, so, so he lived in an art world. So I think it kind of. So he may have had it coming from lots of different perspectives. I think so. I think so. You know, somebody. You know, the it's so interesting. Uh, we're going to bring back the man, the myth, the legend, Bob Dylan. I'm going to bring him back because this album, when it came out, a lot of people talked about this as similar to Blood on the Tracks, his mm-hmm. breakup album, mm-hmm. and you know, it doesn't sound anything like it. You know, the the, the heartbreak sounds the same. Um, and Beck isn't as angry as Dylan was um, at Sarah when he was in, in, when that when Blood on the Tracks came out. But I do think that there's a lot there. And the, one of the things I've always thought about Beck, he reminded me in the in the late 80s, early 90s, he was the reinvention of Bob Dylan because he did the Bob Dylan thing, which was yeah. like gut bucket 20s blues 
playing because that one foot in the grave is folk blues it's and it's real stuff i mean he can play it's simple basic but he can play and then he goes into odelay where he's where he's basically cutting everything up and mixing everything in and then creating this sonic whirlwind with all these like Every, clap your hands, clap your hands, right. clap your hands. Where it's at? I got two turntables and a microphone. It's so weird to see <laughs> the like, full spectrum of, yeah. that's the, to me, he, the reason that he's cool is that he represents such a wide spectrum of music and a wide spec. He's not beholden to, this is good music. Like, you know, it's like he's, he's clearly got a, a respect for all of it. Yes. And when you, when you have that kind of universal perspective on, the arts or something like it, it just, it, you kind of feel it from them. And that's where I think the essence of this is like, it, it's a special moment when you can do it all. Has he ever said who his musical and who, what albums he listened to over a, and over and over? Has he I ever never, said, I don't I know. I didn't go that. Yeah. I didn't get that deep into it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I'd be, I'd be curious to, I, I, that's what I'm thinking is that it's why it's clearly wide. Uh, obviously voracious. Yeah. And he must have some folk. Like I, I read somewhere that it said that he was mixing up, <laughs> that he was mixing up, um, you know, the, uh, Smithsonian's, what was that? The, 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 the master of the masterpieces of folk, whatever. I forget mm. Alan Lomax and like old, the old found sound, the guys who were going out from Smithsonian and recording in the woods and recording um, field recordings and bringing in stuff, he, he definitely was into that sound, um, but that he was filtering it through um, hip hop. Yeah. So he had a big, so there was a hip hop thing going on at the same time. Right. So if you think about that, you do get that, especially with Mellow Gold and Odelay. Yeah. There's definitely that the phase. But then after that, he moves into basically singer songwriter mode. I mean, he does space folk. So that's what I think Mutations is. And then he does a, then he does a 90s, like he does the 1990 party album that Prince didn't do, right? <laughs> Prince wrote it in eight, in the eighties. He did it. He did his version in the nineties. It's like, it's like Beck channeling Prince. Mm-hmm. If you've never listened to Midnight Vultures, give it a listen. It's, it's, it's a boogie, it's a boogie album. You can, you can dance to it. And then, so then this goes completely then he just breaks the whole mold. And I feel like that in a lot of ways is why I think Beck and Dylan are similar because they're constantly changing, morphing, shape-shifting into something different, but yet still always staying incredibly authentically themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a special thing. People people make impressions on people when they're authentically themselves and they yeah. have influence. <laughs> it's badass. Yep. Yeah. So cool. It comes through. Well, and then he's always been really good at writing a hook that you can't not. He's a pro. Into. That's yeah, the cool thing about it. Like his, he understands the hook, which is great too. It's just, he's got all the tricks. It seems like to me that he always seemed like he had all the tricks he could do. He could do it all. I just liked this one the most. <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I, I love it. I love it. I wouldn't one. call it my favorite. I would probably have to say my favorite Beck album is Midnight Vultures, mm-hmm. but that's just because I'll never forget where, when, and how, yeah. and where I was. And some of the lines like nicotine and gravy, your left eye is lazy. I mean, th- these lines that you're just like, they don't work. They don't work. But yet you find yourself belting it out 
in the back shoe in the when you're back pulling out a pair of shoes and you're like nicotine and gravy your left eye you is like Deborah. <laughs> yeah, like Deborah. Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> he like goes so I mean goes hard in the paint on that. Great. Like it's like he's it was I just love that album. But but I don't know that I would listen to it over and over again, right? Like whereas Odelay and this one I definitely would I listened to it three times through pretty I was really happy doing so. So thanks for bringing that yeah, one. Yeah, it was Michael. fun. We have some common denominators between the two albums that we picked, Steve, which is the producer. Yeah, I picked um, I picked Radioheads in Rainbows, and which came out in 2007. God, that was crazy. And my um, and the my pick my reason for picking that is because I have been a lifelong Radiohead fan from creep days right mm-hmm. from the very beginning because at that time we were into you know that was grunge and they were doing the gr- they were like they were grunge adjacent they were oxford posh boys who um who were great musicians who were all buddies knew each other grown up together went to school together and everything else um and then they wrote they just obviously you've got so you're in the band you've got tom york who most people know of Talking about his left eye is lazy. I don't know if it's left or his right, but one of them's got some funky thing going on with it. And then two brothers, um, and the two brothers are Johnny Greenwood and Colin Greenwood. I think so it's cool. Greenwood. They're 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 the they are Johnny Greenwood is the genius of the band. Yeah, Even though a lot of he's people, like kind of the mad scientist behind the yeah. A lot of people give credit to Tom, and I think Tom writes most of the. St- the melody storyline and the lyrics. So he gets a lot of credit. Yeah, I think from but a he, layman's mm-hmm. perspective, he's the face man for sure. He is the face man and they allow him to be the face man, but that's because Johnny is doing all his magic underneath the hood. Like he's, and, and you know, he's, he writes all the strings for it. He actually did the strings for um, there where there might be blood. I don't know if you ever seen that movie. That mm-hmm. movie, that's an incredible composer. The music Holy is shit. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that I didn't know that. Yeah, he's wow. like a Trent Reznor type. Yes. You know, when it he comes does everything. To the, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a he's super badass. Their lead guitarist, his name's Ed O'Brien. He also is he's really good at playing understated, clean, beautiful lines. But Johnny's like the main lead guitar. It's so weird. They all there's three guitarists in the bands and they're all three different guitarists and they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. But to me, the reason I picked this album, because I've always loved, always, always, always loved um, Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And, but in 2007, when I listened to this album, I had been listening to a lot of dub reggae, a lot of reggae. And I love dub especially because I love mixing and the way they mix it and the way they break that it down. Is that guy's name Lee? Lee Scratch, Scratch Perry. Lee Scratch Perry, man. Lee Scratch He's Perry. He'll get art. into your head and it's hard to get out oh, once yeah. you go there. For it's sure. It's hard to get out. Though, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a. He he's not a duppy conqueror. He's like the duppy is a is a is a mad bad spirit in Jamaican in in Rastafarian cosmology or whatever. And uh, you know uh, Bob Marley sang a song "Duppy Conqueror," and I think that the duppies conquered Lee Scratch Perry. But I diverge. <laughs> so I I was into bass. I really really got quote. into bass at this time. Like from O two to O seven eight, I was like. <laughs> almost always listening to bass. And then the way the drums, the way the rhythm section worked together. And so, um, 
Aston Family Man Barrett is the bassist for the uh, the Whalers, and he is to me the best bassist in the world. But they but they always play what they call um, what do they call? They have a term for their their lines. I forget I'm forgetting the name of their term for their line. But um, and I always wish they were more melodic. So. Anyway, I've been. They, they are repetitive and repeating and repeating and repeating. But their design is to keep the they let the drummer do kinds of different things and let the whole, everybody else stay in the pocket and they just play it over and over again. And Colin Greenwood in this album in Rainbows, it, to me, it is one of the great bass albums of all time. It is, and I don't think I really. Re, I mean, I realized when the first album first came out that I was like, why do I like this so much from the very beginning, like right away? And it took me a while to figure out, mm. oh, it's the bass. Interesting. It, and the drummer, his name is Phil Selway. This dude is strange. He's got, he shaves his head bald. He's been bald ever since, I think, the days. And he wears a fucking suit when he plays. Or at least he wears like a, a dress shirt and a tie. Um, I highly recommend anybody that wants to engage with this album, go on YouTube, start putting Radiohead in Rainbows in the Basement. Nigel yeah, Goodrich has so an old thing good. called In the Basement. And they yeah, play this album. that's when they did in the studio. And yeah. And they, they it showed them thro going through. Yeah. That's it, the quintessential where you can see the drums. Yes. And you yeah. just right there seeing, and the drummer is really, really good. He plays, he play, and they use drum machines too. There's multiple drum machines going on in this album, but the drummer just holds it down and he's allowed to go different places, but the bassist just kills it. Um, and this, you know, there's a lot of other reasons why I think this album is their best. I mean, a lot of people disagree. They think, okay, computer is the best and it is the most influential for sure. Okay. Computer, um, kid a, some people think kid a is more influential, but cause they were the first rock band to really do electronica. Well, they, they, they basically kid a created electronica basically mm -hmm. it didn't exist before kid a and that's Johnny Greenwood doing and Ed, Ed O'Brien doing their thing, playing with it. I mean, I think, and Tom York is a part of that too. That's hard to pull any they of these guys apart. They were all hanging out with those Warp Records folks totally. too, like Apex yes. Twin and Square Pusher and all of them. And so it was like, totally. they were bringing it in to the rhythm section um, they were in a making, really, really great they were way. Making, they were making sampling and those sounds, those those making not just sampling, but mostly sounds and electro, like the beat machine and doing all weird things, deconstructing, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And Kid A is famous for that, right? Mm -hmm. And his Amnesiac is probably my second favorite. Um, and that's, that's the sort of outtakes from Kid A. But then they went into this phase and then they got really grumpy about Bush, like many of us did, right? Like many of us when George Bush was president of the United States. Oh, I thought you meant the band. It was embarrassing. <laughs> it was embarrassing to be an American for many of us when George Bush was a president. Right now, he, well, in the Trump era, he seemed, seemed pretty much innocuous. He was pretty much okay. Now, we would have taken him during that time, yeah. right? But, but at the time, it was embarrassing. And, you know, Hail, Hail to the Thief is their next album. Right. And that is just angry politics. I yeah. mean, Tom York is pissed off. And the music is raw and hard and fast and very much in your face. With That's my favorite Everything. Album. It's such a great album. It's a little bit long. I wish they yeah. trimmed a couple songs really off of long. it. It's really long. But evidently they were going to break up after that. Like they didn't know where else to go. They didn't know what else to do. They didn't have any, they didn't have any dreams. They all had become dads. They'd all become fathers. Almost yep. all of them had father, had kids right around the same time. Tom had already started doing his little side so, thing with Erasure. He started doing his, that, that he did that Erasure album. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and Tom and then Johnny scored body song, which he made up was like he basically scored his own thing. And then he did that. He's got into 
the Hollywood music production stuff. So it just looked like they weren't going to do anything. Yeah. And then they decided they weren't going to use. And then they decided, well, maybe we'll make put some stuff together. But they didn't want to do. <laughs> they didn't want to use Nigel. They wanted to try to go a different direction. So they cut some songs with another um, producer and it didn't go anywhere. Um, and so they called Nigel back, and now we have this incredible, in my, what I can consider a, a masterpiece. I don't think there's a single song on the album that's not incredible. There's one called Faust Arp that might be. That, that, that unless you're a fan, you might not, you know, pick up. But I think there's, I mean, there's four of these to five of these songs are still in their set list. This is a band who has eight, eight albums, three of which are considered absolute classics. Right. And they're still playing four of these songs in their live sets, you know, a two hour live set. So, and I think they could play more of them personally. I think there's, these songs could hold it definitely, up. Definitely, when I first heard it, it felt like, well, at the time that I was here, I was in a Radiohead cover band and shit. So like, were you really? Yeah, and uh, I mean, in my in my living room, you know, you know what I mean. But like, but we all got together and we wanted to play Radiohead songs. And when this album came out, it definitely felt like there was a return of a legacy mm-hmm. band, and it was more of them than I had ever really heard before. And it was, I mean. It just felt like a return of almost like you get this sensation like they are like, all right, their category is done. It'll live in time. It'll go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It'll do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it comes back and it's like, oh shit. Yeah, they did more. They did Hail to the Thief better in my opinion in this one. Mm -hmm. And then they transitioned into whatever else they did after that from here that just that I don't think is, is quite as good. I mean, moon shaped, well, I forget what it's called. Moon shaped something. Mm-hmm. I forget what that is. I think that's a really good album too, but I don't know. This just hit a time and a place. And, um, yeah. Weird fish is such a cool, I mean, such a cool drony. Just, that's what I'm saying. There's this motor, there's this, this, this sort of kraut rock thing that they've got going on, but I want to play the first couple of seconds of the first song on the album, because this is, like what they did was they did Kid A and then filtered Kid A through through Hail to the Thief mm-hmm. and you get 15 steps. I'm just going to play the first little bit of it. Now the drummer came in. Now there's a real drummer there now. <laughs> and then this guitar, snaky guitar line that comes in next is just, when I first heard this, I was like, Because oh. <laughs> you don't think it's coming. You think it's a little bit esoteric. It's so, it's, and then it's melodic. Like that's where they hit I, you. I don't. We'll play just a little bit longer. Why have I never used headphones before? I don't know. It's a note that John's listening on reference headphones. Yeah. With a flat frequency response. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to wait just a second because I want you to hear what changed. Hear that? Hear the bass? When you have headphones on 
and a new instrument comes in, you hear it when it comes in, not when... And how it's panned. Yeah, when you're listening, if you're listening on the radio or whatever, you hear it, I think you hear it after it's actually in. Yeah. I think your brain picks it, but when you've got everything focused yeah. right here. I know. It's pretty cool, huh? It's about as good as it gets. <laughs> it's really cool. I feel like such an amateur. That's why that guy at Guitar Center sucking me into those $1,000 monitors. <laughs> <laughs> ribbon tweeters. And the yeah. German provider, Adam. Yeah. Adam monitors. And this album does just so many different things. I think the thing to me that's the best is that this is, we, we all knew Tom York could sing, but I think his singing is the best here that it's, that it is, that it yep. ever is. I don't think he quite goes into the places. I mean, I think on videotape, he does some pretty amazing things. It's a slow droney thing that goes on, but I just think that this, if you haven't listened to this album and you, and you like Radiohead, I think it's, you, it's good to revisit it and and spend some time with it because the songs are just incredible, um, and I just think you know I list the first time I listened to it I had oh that's the other thing about this album that a lot of people don't realize oops sorry there's videotape um, that a lot of people don't realize is that this was also a complete here we go sea change from what was going on in the music industry because these guys released this album. They had just gotten out of their contract with EMI, the major label. Oh, I forgot about And this. they released this album, Without Pay a, As You Wish, yeah. on the internet. It was crazy. It was the first time anybody first, had ever seen anything like that on, the, on that stage. And they said it was going to change the industry. And basically, this album created the space where Spotify and other things come into play which is a good thing or a bad thing you know that you can look at it both sides they gave it away and you could donate it they gave it away paid what you wanted to if whatever you wanted to pay and then they yeah and then they released it and then they released it after that um and i bought it both ways i bought it online and i bought the album i mean i paid money online and i bought the album because you know so badass yeah this is this is why i think these music days when we're in here because i learn Mm -hmm. shit i would have never learned (laughs) Yeah. yeah guys are encyclopedias man yeah it's just a cool album i think it's just it, and i think it's representative of um this band in a really beautiful way and and it, and it re you know i i was trail running uh i took this album with me when i was coaching at ut i went up to uh, fayetteville arkansas so my i and i it was like you first had i had headphones and they weren't wireless you, they were so you could listen to music on your phone for the first time right and I had it wired in, but I went on a long trail run. I would never have brought my phone otherwise because I didn't listen to music when I ran for years and years and years, forever. But this album also brought me into listening to music while I was running. Mm. And it still sits that way for me. Like, I can listen to this album all the way through. I probably listen to it once uh, every three or four months on a run. I'll usually design my run to be exactly the length of the album and just... I remember being in the woods in northwestern Arkansas, which is beautiful country. It's beautiful. really, really beautiful country. I was on trails, just didn't know where I was. It was just lost to the world, listening to music and running and, you know, doing what I loved. I was coaching at the collegiate level. It was the fall of, I think, 2020, 2007. And I was just, it just, Every time I listen to it, it brings me back to this incredible period of time in my life and just, and it wasn't anything like special, like sad, break heart, heartbreaking or anything else. Just normal everyday life. But here, 
Mm-hmm. Radiohead in Rainbows is my normal everyday life. Isn't that fucking badass? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you could, really... that we can live this life where we've got mu- if you love music, you can really lean into it and yeah. make it. Music and running, man, is like it's there's so almost no better way to listen to music than with headphones and on a run. When I stopped opinion. smoking pot, I I started running more and more with music. You know, my yeah. spirit runs were no longer we couldn't I couldn't do spirit runs anymore because I wasn't smoking weed. Which I did a lot of in my day, right? And then I, and I was avoiding music because you don't want it to be pure. I always wanted to be pure with my running. What the fuck is that all about? What does that even mean to be yeah. pure with your running? Pure what? Pure bullshit. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> pure bullshit. But running with headphones on and having the wireless thing, getting all that to happen now to me, I'm like, what a wonderful experience to mm. have. It's beautiful and anybody who thinks running without if you think that you shouldn't run with music i would say pull it out every once in a while and use it and especially with your favorite albums because you'll engage with them in a way you might be surprised at the way that you appreciate an artist who you've loved for a very long time and how they wrote that album that you love for you and then you might even realize they wrote it for you to feel it deeply at the deepest level and as runners what do we do at the deepest level we run i mean that's where we feel at some of our deepest space i just think it's yeah highly i can't i'm a i'm a proselytizer i'm an evangelist for not listening to music on all your runs but just picking some out to do it with it's pretty sweet absolutely no doubt that was a cool one steve i think that's a that was a fun one to revisit as well. Well, John's I, ears came in through a different door. I like this one too. Um, nice style differences. Well, well, I don't. I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge that you guys do. I really like, don't. I just have an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a philistine at heart, deep down. Yeah. Thank God for Wikipedia. <laughs> I just try and act accordingly. We it's, used to have liner notes. Now we yeah, have Wikipedia. Right. Used to actually have to work for that shit. Now, now. Dude, that was, I was thinking about that when, when we decided to do another music one, like how the, until I was, it had to have been in middle school. Everything I listened to was on my parents' record player. Jim Croce. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He, uh, um, Jim Croce. I was about to to say a Jim Croce thing and I was like, that's totally, we don't need this. But, um. So every, you know, back when everybody listened to vinyl, like we didn't have eight tracks in our house or anything like that, but the way you listen to vinyl is different the way you then was, is different than the way you listen to music now. And so you put on one side and it wasn't until I got older that I'd listen to a one song over and over. It was always, you just had to go through and listen until the end of that side. And so songs have a certain, like if I hear a certain song on the radio, I know what the next song is going to be. On the album. On the album. Because mm-hmm. they were made that way. Because they were made that way. And so I've, I've just pictured, you know, my sister and I, and my parents' record player was, it was probably six feet wide. You know, it was like a cabinet. And in the middle was the phonograph thing. And then the, two big speakers on either side and then, you know, shelving, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a piece of furniture. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we would just sit there and listen to records, you know, like on a, a you know, a Saturday or, you know, whatever, 
and we're with crayons and you know and some of it was some of the stuff we listened to was Sesame Street and then if it was my parents stuff you know we'd sit there like you know we just thought that was what music was and one of the albums that we listened to over and over and over was Janis Joplin's greatest hits and I think a lot of people think of Janis they think Pearl mm-hmm. because that was her album but so much of what she did throughout her career could you know the compilations is is enough and I think a lot of times I listen to a lot of compilations because I'm like like I was telling you Steve before we turned on the mic like you and Michael hear something that you really like and you investigate how it got there and I just listen to it over and over and over I'm like ha ha you know like you guys have a different your curiosity goes a different way and there was something about Janis Joplin and it, Janis Joplin was one of my mother's records and she had records like she had Janis she had the more bluesy kind of stuff and my dad had the classical and I think he may have had a Beatles record mm-hmm. but my mom they were classical anyway. yeah <laughs> they were like pop classical yeah totally um but my mom had um Janis Joplin and there you know there's some like old blues guy and she just had the real the cool stuff mm-hmm. and we just thought Janis Joplin was so like the way she like sometimes she sounds at the same time ecstatic and in the throes of death yes she does and it's just like and she doesn't have a pretty voice right it, she sounds like she just finished her third pack of Marlboros for the morning. But there's something about that Greatest Hits album that is just like, oh. and then Mercedes Benz, that mm-hmm. acapella thing. When I was a kid, that was that may be the first song I ever listened to over and over and over because I had, mm. to, I had to memorize the lyrics because it was so cool because they were talking about I, I, and that may be the first time I'd ever heard the phrase Lord, you know, Mercedes Benz. And yeah, and some of the stuff on this comes from Pearl. Some of the stuff on this comes from when she was with Big Brother. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's, so, and it's one of the few albums that I like from my childhood. That it has I, a live song on it too, doesn't it? Does. It does. Yeah, yeah, it has a live song on it. One, maybe one or two. And that my, two. Kid, my yeah. kids like it too. So I think there's an extra appreciation you know, and me and Bobby McGee, which was a, I think Chris Christopherson song. Mm-hmm. It is, yep. Um, that it, you know, that may is. I would think that's probably the song that most people know her by. Um, it may have been her highest charting song. I don't know, but like that album to me, like any song on that album, immediately, like as soon as it's over, I expect. And there may be five or six albums that I listen to where that's just, and they, they're all, they would have to be albums, you know, because Mm -hmm. starting probably around the mid nineties, it would, you know, you started picking songs out of things before you just listened to an album. That's so badass. She's from Beaumont or Port Arthur? Port Arthur. I I think think she's Port Arthur and Beaumont claims her and. Corpus claims her sometimes. Austin claims her because yeah. she came here and played at Threadgill. Is that where UGK Threadgill. is from? Who? <laughs> UGK. Yeah. Bun B. Yeah. 
exactly. Uh, I think screw. There's a lot of DJ flavor. Screw. There's a lot of flavor in uh, that pocket. That's oh, yeah. kind of 35, 40 minutes from yep. where I'm from. Yeah. Yep. H-Town, H-Town going towards Louisiana. Yeah. There's a lot there's of There's some folk. I-10. There's a lot you know of when you get on the there. highway there, the highways kind of look like, I hope this doesn't come out the wrong way. They get you there, and they're they're flavorful, but they, <laughs> they, they, you can, you hear a lot of that area of the country, and what yeah. people, a lot of folks might not understand is, is how interesting that part of Texas and Louisiana is. Yeah. It's not the greater Texas, and it's not the greater Louisiana. No, it is a fucking work your face off, you know. The lifestyle. I mean, it is beautiful area of the country with a lot of flavor. It's all flavor. Like, I mean, it, it's just. And and to me, when I think of her, I think of, I think of, um, yeah, that that border. You yeah. know, that Texas border, that area. Like, and there was know. a whole lot of lot of artists co opting, or we might now call culturally appropriating African American music right yeah and and this happened significantly before janice but i think the thing that makes janice so special to to most listeners is that it feels like there is no color like well, she that's is, what's interesting that's a cool way of describing it because mm-hmm. she it, is african-american and she is Anglo-American, and she's like, I, it doesn't matter. I'm just a woman from these parts. Well, she, she <laughs> I know she, this. She said that, I think starting in high school, I think they would go to Louisiana yeah. and go to these old blues joints mm-hmm. and right. listen to, and well, she said all of her influences came from those uh, black musicians. Right. And, and that, that was where she found, that was music to her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the 19th When you hear it in her, yeah. in her sound. Yeah, it was amazing. You hear it all through it, even though she then went to the, then, you know, she came to prominence in the United States out of her San Francisco years, right? When, right? She, when she moved, when she went there and with, um, what's the name of the business? What's the business? Big business. What's her band? The holding company. The holding company. I always want to call it big, biz- big brother, <laughs> big, big brother and the holding, holding company. company. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, and you know, that time that was Grateful Dead and all those guys doing all kinds of weird, different, strange things. But she held down you know i think of janice and nina simone a lot to yeah. those two together seem to me to be um two artists that are sisters in arms you know i don't know what, what about were- lucinda williams yeah but i think lucinda's post that right and lucinda's a Lucinda. she was almost the more the time lucinda came around the i think the time yeah the late 80s it, yeah. yeah. it was the mid late 80s it was, it was, it was, was different time between and and I think, you know, Lucinda, I don't know, I, Janice to me, she transcends all musical genres. Yeah. And is her own mix of blues rock that is not, um, that can't be, they can't, no one can, I don't think we'll ever hear anybody who sounds like Janice. Right. Right. She kind of set the well, whole tone. Didn't she sort of like, you know, this is like you said, the sort of, in those San Francisco years, it was Grateful Dead and all that kind of stuff. And she was the first front woman to become, to achieve that level of popularity in... Maybe Grace Slick, too, with yeah. um, 
She was in Jefferson, Je- Jefferson Airplane or Jefferson Starship. Yeah. Jefferson's Airplane. She was at the same day, White Rabbit. That right. was around the same time. Um, but again, remember, Janice died in 1970. This album came out in 1973. Yep. They, they comp- right. compiled everything because it, just because the songs were so incredible. And she... Was she 27? I she think was she was in that. She's at that. Mm-hmm. She's one of those. The 27 <laughs> crew. The mysterious. Yeah, the mysterious yeah. number that if you don't know what we're talking about... It, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, um, Kurt Cobain. I mean, you can just go down the line of all these yeah. people who died in, at the age of 27. Some kind of weird... I'm sure you can YouTube it and there'll be some documentary about it. But mm-hmm. uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, John, one of the things you, you when we when we put out our albums, both Michaels and I are, you know, they're, they're discreet albums that you can tell an artist put everything they had yeah. into. And you stated in your, um, you was like, maybe this one doesn't count because it's a greatest hits album. And I just wanted to, just to note to our listeners that to me, there are certain I'm not a fan of greatest hits albums. Yeah. I'm a big Tom Petty fan. Tom yeah. Petty's greatest hits, you, you can go fucking sit on a stick. Right. It, it ain't that good. Right. All those songs are good, but that is not a good album. Right. But this album and the Eagles' greatest hits, to me, are the the standard by which all greatest hits albums must be con- must hold, and they are classics of their own, and... I don't even know these songs outside of this greatest hits album. I do. I have listened to Pearl, and I have yeah. listened to some of the other albums. But th- this is the where is the place I've go to. It's the place I've gone to. It's the album I listened to. It was this. It was the tape cassette that I listened to when I was a kid, or what that that yep. was around in some girl's Jeep when I was. Right you know, macking on some girl and she wanted to listen to Janice, she'd pop this. This is what you, they, this is what was, this is what was available. Right. Unless you were a super fan. Right. right. But it, it was available and out there. And to me, it's like the best way to approach Janice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it's got two live cuts. It's got that Mercedes Benz acapella. It's got the greatest, one of the greatest songs of all time as a song by itself. And then the greatest performance of all time in summertime, that song summertime that she does, there's nothing like it in the planet. It'll give you goosebumps. It's like, it's, it's, it's it's what Nina Simone, she, that song and Nina Simone, they do the same thing to me. It's like, I'm a woman. Yeah. We're all women. We all, we all have that. We're all a woman. There's a woman in all of us and we feel their pain. My mom had Nina Simone albums. And I think my probably, you know, looking back on it my mom liked female singers who were like not afraid to say because my mother grew up in a place where women stayed in the house they you know that kind of stuff and so she really liked that and yeah you're i think you're right on nina simone and Mm -hmm. uh, i'm seeing it more clearly yeah there's a there's a congruency for sure and yeah she also has a voice where you're like, whoa! It's not technically amazing, right? And I mean, it's it not is, even from a musical perspective. It's no. about it's from a what they were doing, why they were doing it. It's, it's like, power. Yeah, it's power. It's, it's power. Power, power comes straight through. Well, I, and I would imagine too, like, and you know, I don't know what how different the technology was in terms of the quality, like the studios that they used back then, um, but. I would bet, like, if you heard them live, you know, either Nina Simone or Janis Joplin, 
And even and if you were a big fan and knew every lyric from every album and every all that stuff, if you heard them live, you would, it would change your, your perspective life. again. Yeah. And like that's what, what when I've watched videos of Janice performing live, you you think she's dying, you know, and it's it just blows my mind, mm-hmm. you know, and particularly because I'm like I'm not in the music world, and so when I can when I see someone doing something like performing as if your skin is coming off in front of all and you're like how the fuck do you get the balls to do that mm-hmm. that blows me away I, I just love it and nobody did it like she did and the stakes were so high you know she yep. the stakes were so high as a female artist in a male dominated world at a time where things were changing but they yep. hadn't changed right you know Nina had it harder than Janice did for sure um, but Nina kept clean. You know, Janice had her. Janice had real demons that came out in but, substance abuse. Well, yeah, Nina had some. You know, she she drank a lot, and she I think she brandished a gun at some people. She sure did. Times, she sure did. She and but it's heroin, man. It's heroin. Once you once that taste happens, they go down that road. It yeah. it. it it, it seems to be that what we find with musicians, I mean, what would we have if, what would the world be like if Kurt Cobain was still here? Right. Like mm-hmm. what would be, what would our generation's music be like if he continued to make albums beyond? I mean, if you listen to In Utero and you compare In Utero to what was going on, I mean, if you listen to to me, when you hear um, the MP, M, MTV Unplugged version of Kurt Cobain, you you are getting you are getting someone who knew who is like these artists we're talking about mm-hmm. like a Beck like mm-hmm. um the the I'm not saying the individual musicians in Radiohead but Radiohead as a group of making an album together of people with Janice you've got true artistry yeah. operating at a very high level and when that gets cut down like where would Janice be yeah you know it, did Janice need to burn out and not fade away I don't I mean, I think it just would, to me, that's the, the, the thing about heroin is alcohol seems that most people can get through yeah. and find their way to the other end. A lot of people do. Well, with but, alcohol, you have a greater chance. Correct. Because it doesn't it, hit them. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're, you know, you're driving your Ferrari at right. 180 miles an hour down yep. the four or five or whatever, but. Yep. Um, and if you get to cirrhosis level, you're talking about non-functioning and you're already on skid, you know, cirrhosis yeah, you, level yeah, is that's taken decades to correct. get right. And with heroin, um, you know, you it's any minute. overnight. Yeah. It's overnight. It's, uh, yeah, that era, you know, especially now the way that music is made, um, through, I mean, TikTok, all these places now. And so like, are you know, I know people still make albums, you know, record, you know, we we have a collection of 10 songs we want it's to cool introduce to. Yeah. But now music is coming through so many different places it's fun that that me. experience of listening to a record from start to finish is now it like it's it's part it's part of history. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Like my kids it was an era and yeah, you don't do it. In, they don't, they don't do it. They don't seem to do it anymore. The last yeah. episode we were talking about technology and perspective yeah. and it was just like, I re-listened to it and I was like, I'm just grappling with like everything. And I think, I think that 
we're looking at it optimistically. These albums, this was an era. It was, a, in my opinion, like the, I mean, maybe 1940, 50s, mm-hmm. 50s into like the early 2000s. But especially taking off in the 60s when albums were real things. Yeah, so you yeah. have like 50, when, yeah, 60, they were still 60, doing, yeah, exactly. They were, my mom still had, in the, you know, my mom was a child of the 50s and in the 60s, but yeah, early 60s, and they would have the 45. She had like boxes right. and boxes of Even 45s. Even Dylan's records in the 60s was different than what he was putting out in right. the early they 60s. Were yeah, they, they were songs. Yeah, they were songs and they were a group of songs and they and, were doing his thing. Yeah. But these became artistic pieces, and I do think that honoring the era of the mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s mm-hmm. is what we're really doing. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and say the world is not as good of a place because we don't have yeah. that anymore. I'm just going to I I, I miss it, you yeah. know. And mm-hmm. I and I love that they're there, and I love that we can revisit these. And I do think that this is an exercise in honoring that period of time because that's just not the industry right now you can do it i would encourage everybody to go out there and write an album you know and and want it to be from start to finish Uh, but but i i just don't know if i mean that that's not how people are consuming them and that's neither right nor wrong right it's just an interesting way and i think we need to treat this era with reverence and hold it to the highest regard whether or not it's going to come back because everything likes to come back you know but at the same time, I do think that whereas we're a little bit more single serve now, yep. whereas we used to, this used to be a part of the culture, like why you were sitting in your living room, John, like this was just something that people did, yeah. you know? Or um, like when you're on the family road trip, yeah. going wherever and, yeah. you know, you listen to... This is me. This, is, this podcast is teaching me how to be an optimist. Yeah. An extreme optimist. And, 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 and you know, it, I've say that facetiously, but like, no, it really though, it's kind of, it's challenged my wanton desire to be like, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. People should, people should be creating albums. But I think there's an, on the other side of the coin, it's, isn't it great that we have them? And at least I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. personally trying to practice that. And I just think it's, and badass. you know, I mean, in rainbows is in a lot of ways created the problem that we're lamenting. Like, yeah. It's an interesting progression, isn't it? That they, that they put out the first so album. So did Trent that was Reznor when yeah. he was putting out well, he thought, dongles on, he on thought, urinals and shit. Well, he <laughs> thought that Radiohead missed an opportunity. So then he went even harder yeah. in that area. He thought, he thought Radiohead sold out because they, didn't just do it that way. That yeah. Because then he put out a year or two later, he did it. And, you know, I think Courtney Love was like, these guys are doing the greatest things. And other people were like, no. But the industry realized. You got Metallica. Yes. In right. their side of the coin trying to grapple yeah. with the change. It's yeah. like, whoo Yeah. It's no, crazy. All, all those, like, not even just the Janice, but, oh, I'm Wow, ah, now you know so, this. He just got it autocorrect. <laughs> I autocorrected myself. There's smear phones on John. Every album or all the music I listened to before, I don't know, 2005 was all I bought a CD or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so everything was listened to front to back. And then you discard all the stuff. And I'm trying to think of the last album I've listened to with my kids from front to back. Mm. And I can't think of it. Yeah. Hamilton. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last one. I can't, I mean. I still do it, but I'm a old school yeah. art fart that way. I, You know, I, there's an album that came out in 2022 that I have listened to 25 times 
I mean, more than I've listened to all of the album. I've listened to the album hundreds of times. That's which you might say is crazy because there's only 300 days in a year. But I love this album. It's called by Big Thief had an album called it's called Damn. New Warm Heart Mountain, whatever. Every yeah. single song on that album is really, really good. I love that. album. I think it's one of the last it's a double album and every single song is good and it's incredible. Uh, that album, Life, it, if, if I do a, another one of these, this, that will be my probably one of mine. I almost picked it for this, but I was just like, uh, and they still make, you know, there are people out there making real albums. You know, they really, yeah. they do that, but uh, you have to work at it. And then, um, but you know, today what you have to do is you have to do both. You got, but you had to do back in the day too. You still had to make great songs because people were going to pick an out, they were going to pick a single and they were going to. They were going to make a single. Yep. You just didn't know. And you didn't know which one was going to be the single. You were pretty sure something weird wasn't going to get that role. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll come back. You know, who knows? Who knows how things will go? Nostalgia is all the rage in fashion. Maybe nostalgia will come back in, in you know, records came back. You know, yeah. people, you know, well, in our age, we were throwing records away through the 90s and right. the early aughts. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted records. Yeah. Isaac's buying vinyl and... Mm -hmm. I, what blows me away is how many songs that I thought my kids wouldn't know from my childhood that they know through TikTok because mm. it's come back as a TikTok trend or dance. Mm, interesting. You know, some, you know, hmm. weird old Led Zeppelin shit or something, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, Led Zeppelin. Okay. So what's, what's our, we're not going to do another music one for a month or two, maybe a month or so. We won't wait quite so long, but where do you think, where do you think we should go next with music if we go somewhere? Should we do it again? Should we go to the aughts or go to like the greatest of the aughts or the greatest of the eighties or the seventies or it'd be interesting. Um, listeners, if you think you've got a direction, you think we should go tell us. We'll yeah, go like, it. That's nice. Yeah. See where you, cause we're going to pick something. Yeah. But, Be best road trip music. Ooh, best. that would be good. Best motion picture soundtrack. Oh, that could be good. All right, guys, we'll leave you on Tinder hooks with that. <laughs> that was fun.